as we look at a scripture today, the Apostle Paul speaking and encouraging us as he encouraged the church at Philippi, we become keenly aware of several different things. And one of those things I would submit to you today is that we're all at a different stage in the journey. Uh, for some of us, uh, I kind of began today thinking about this, that some of us are growing in Christ and we made a commitment to Christ long ago and from that point in time, we've been consistently growing in Him. For others of us, we were growing in Christ and for whatever reason, and I, I continue to uh, come to this, uh, to this word. This word does not lead, uh, lead my prayer life. It does not lead my spiritual life and that's the word of apathy. Uh, when I look at the church today, there is so much apathy in the church. There's so much apathy in the world, kind of this, you know, I don't, we don't care about this or we don't care about that. And even in some of the most, what I would consider God-fearing people, it's so easy for apathy to entangle our journeys. Um, there are others of us who are curious and we're seekers and we're just wanting to know, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow? Are we going to get enough of the gospel? Or uh, we may just want enough of the gospel to make it through the day. Uh, and there's a lot of people in the church today who are lost. And I want to underscore that. Uh, just because you go to church does not mean that you're a follower of Jesus, nor does it mean that you're a believer. In fact, I would argue, and I can't prove it, and you know, you can't prove either way, but I would say that the majority of church attendees today struggle with lostness. And I say struggle with lostness because they are lost. They don't know Jesus. And, uh, you know, there's nothing, there's no substitution for knowing Christ. There's no amount of good deeds that take the place of a life committed to Jesus. Friday, I had the opportunity, or I should say, the opportunity arose that I would travel to Raleigh to, I thought, be preaching a service for a student that had been in a children's ministry, uh, it would be 20 years ago this fall, and uh, so I, I'd, I'd planned to attend, the mom had called me and she said, I want you, want you to come to this funeral, uh, I know he would want you there and I want you there, and so, uh, you know, I may, gosh, if she called me after 20 years, I've not told her in 20 years, and she needs me there, I'm going to this funeral, and so... I find out uh, Wednesday during the day, not only am I going to this funeral, I'm going to be preaching this funeral, and uh, which kind of a little bit of anxiety because, I, you know, I don't, I know him when he was 10. I don't know who he is at 29. And um, so I go to, uh, I go up, travel up Thursday, and um, Friday I arrive at the church at 9 a.m. Uh, it's a church, a Baptist church uh, there in North Raleigh, and there are a slew of people there. Over, well over 500 people in attendance. The median age was 30. We had a lot of young people. Some of them looked like they had crawled out of bed, okay? Some of them were, you know, kind of business people dressed to the nines in their, you know, their, their suits and their ties. Uh, there was a whole conglomerate, cross-section of a population there. And uh, everything was fine, and I found out, it was kind of kind of uh, kind of put off I found out the entire service is planned in fact I don't have to do anything I was like well that's interesting I wonder why she, okay. anyway so I just you know I, I take my seat in the crowd and they sang uh, how great thou art was led from the stage uh, and it was kind of a multi-purpose building they moved out of the sanctuary due to the fact that the sanctuary would only seat 60 people you got 500 people 
And uh, every, you know, there was scripture readings. There was a scripture from Romans that was read. The one that says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, height or death, or anything else in all of creation would separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I was like, wow, that's, that's awesome. We're more than conquerors, you know. And then there was a, a passage from Ecclesiastes that to everything there's a season. And uh, the message uh, brought by the, uh, the youth minister that followed me at that church uh, was very it was very gospel centered and it was it was a beautiful thing. He said, you know, it's not about it's not about the years that 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 we have, the number of our years. It's how we live those years. And I thought, well, this is an encouraging to an audience that I really feel. And some of you know what I'm talking about when you're in a room or in a in a place and you can feel the spiritual disconnect. Uh, I get that feeling every time I go to Asheville, North Carolina. I love Asheville, but every time I walk the streets of Asheville or I see that city downtown, my soul is in agony because I am surrounded by the perplexity of lostness. And for those of you who are burdened by lostness, I, I ask you to pray that God would open you more and more to be more in tune with the lostness that's around us, the lostness that's in us, and the lostness that is pervasive in our culture as apathy entangles us from beginning to end. And even in spite of all of that, you have uh, Paul, who's speaking to the Philippians, he wants to be an encouragement to them. And he says, grace and peace be to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I thank I thank my God every time I remember you in all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. And as I was sitting in that room, one of the family members gets up and she rings a bowl. I don't really know what it's called. I've tried to research this. I can't figure it out. But she rings a bowl and she begins stirring the bowl and this some of you know, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know what it is, but it was very weird, okay? So I'm sitting, I was a backseat Baptist that day, praise Jesus. And so uh, I was sitting there, and this, this sound reverberated all throughout the room. And she opened, she goes, we're going to have several moments of silence, and then I'm going to ring the bell at the end. And then she gave the explanation, this is how my son worshipped. This is how my son had a quiet time a devotion, meditation. This is how he opened his day and closed out his, uh, you know, his, his prayer time. And I thought, well, okay, that, that's, that's unique. No, no, that's good. Uh, whom doth the bell toll? Uh, anyway, so I, I was sitting there, and uh, the bell tolled twice. She sat down. And then another family member comes up, and he comes to the pulpit, and he says, I want all of you to take an upright posture be comfortable and then for the next 12 minutes he led us in breathing techniques and I felt like I was in it. now it's hard to be in a yoga class in a suit and tie okay it's very difficult to do that it was one of the most bizarre things I've ever experienced in a Baptist worship service and I used the word Baptist and worship very loosely there uh, but then as if that was not enough then I have his friend get up and he says, the gods must be very happy with the light that my friend is now enjoying in the heavens. And I don't know what his consciousness is, but thanks be to the gods who have called him home. And I'm sitting there, oh my heavens. And I began to shake in my seat. And I was like, oh dear God. 
Dear God, what have I walked into? What, 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 is, what is going on in this room? And there was this, this spirit in this room, and I was sitting, and I was thinking, God, I want to leave. I felt sick on my stomach. I wanted to leave. But this is what the spirit said to me. Todd, you need to pray. You need to pray for the lostness that's in this room. Because this is probably the only opportunity until the next kid dies in a car accident or until the next kid overdoses or until the next family member or close associate meets their eternity. This might be the only time. And I thought, dear God, in the chaos of this moment and the things that are being uttered, I pray the divine Christ would show up in an amazing way and that you would just absolutely usher into this lost space the reality of a living God. I've attended, I've led hundreds of funeral services. I've never been to one that was so lost. Afterwards, I went up to some people that I knew, a former minister there, who actually had hired me. And I was talking to his wife. His wife is on staff at another church in the Raleigh area. And she goes, was this not beautiful? Now, you know me. I said, it was a tribute to him. But it was deprived of the supremacy of Jesus. And my soul mourns because you had a captive audience of 500 and I'm not sure they left knowing the Christ who's to be the center of our being and our purpose. I want to encourage you in the best and plead with you in the best sort of way to begin praying more deeply and more fervently that God would take the scales off of our eyes and open and see the lostness that's around us, the lostness of our community, the lostness of our state, the lostness of this world, the lostness of this nation, the lostness of our own family. Lord, help our unbelief. But I want to tell you in that moment, I got a glimpse, just a small glimpse, not in a grandiose way. I got a glimpse of what it must have been like. What it must have been like in a small way. For the prof prophet Elijah to be the only prophet on top of Mount Carmel when the other 450 prophets to a pagan god were present. And he called on the Lord his God and the Lord his God showed up in a mighty, mighty, mighty way. 
and consumed the altar and consumed the offering and left people speechless. That's the God that we believe in. And I want to encourage you to begin thinking and praying about family members and neighbors and church attenders that are lost. Ladies and gentlemen, it is not the proximity to the gospel that saves us. It is not the closeness to the building that helps us. It is solely based on the grace of Jesus Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection, our belief and our assent. And when you and I trust in Jesus, we begin understanding what a fulfilling life can be. And we begin seeing, and if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we will start living life in a bubble, able to perceive, but unable to impact the world we're called to reach. The Apostle Paul encouraged the church at Philippi. Every single man, woman, and child in this room is a work in progress. Some of us, as I've said, are new to the faith. Some of us have grown apathetic to what a life in Christ should entail. We've been burned out or burned up. Others of us have yet to embark on the most courageous and prolific journey that our lives could ever, ever embark upon. And if we're not careful, we will read into Philippians and we will automatically go to chapter 1, verse 6. And we will quote Paul and we'll say that being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion of the day of Christ Jesus. And we will celebrate whatever journey we're on. But the work that he completes is the work that was started in Jesus. Not the work that we started without him. I want you to notice what he says in verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of, in verse 5, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of, because of your partnership, your commitment, your follow-through, your devotion, your seeking the kingdom first. And what he's begun in us, he will see it to completion in us and through us. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, he's not finished with us yet. In other words, the call to know Jesus, the acceptance of Christ as personal Lord and Savior, which we flippantly talk about every week, is not the end of the journey, it is the beginning of the journey. When we come to Christ, therein we become unleashed by the Spirit of God to go throughout the entire known world and share the hope, the message, the salvation, and the sufficiency of God's grace as experienced through the person of Christ. God is not many gods among others. Or one God among many. God is the only true God that exists, period. Period. I don't care what Oprah says. I don't care what Dr. Phil says. I don't even care what I say. 
Jesus is it. And upon that rock of Christ, which Jesus would affirm with Peter, the Petros, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But ladies and gentlemen, I want to be very clear about this. It is a wake-up call to the church. It is time for the people of God to be the church of God, to be the dispensers of His grace, the dispensers of His love, to be defined by Him rather than all the labels and everything else we want to acquire in this life. We're not here to impress other people. We're here to submit ourselves to the amazing, absolute truth of Jesus. There were 500 people in Raleigh in that church on Friday that needed to be confronted with the amazing transformative grace of Jesus. And the reality is this, ladies and gentlemen, grace is real. I said I'll maximize on it, but I want you to know without Christ, you and I are damned to eternal hell. And there is no amount of prayer, there's no amount of service, there's no amount of anything that we can do to get in right relationship with God other than to accept the truth of Christ, His grace that He provides only through Him. That's it. That is our ticket. Period. Nothing else. No amount of good intentions. No amount of goodness. No amount of helping someone across the street. No amount of giving to the poor. No amount of cooking food for the needy. No amount of service in the kingdom. None of that matters. A hill of beans. What matters is faith in action through an identity of Jesus. And you know what the problem is? problem is not Jesus. The problem is us. We are a fallen creation. And we can use excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse all day long. Excuses will never justify. Justification is through faith in Jesus. Through a trust and confidence in Him. I'm deeply concerned about the world that we live in. I'm deeply concerned about our children. I'm deeply concerned about what things they are facing at ages that they should not be facing them. We can say, well, the problem is education. No, it's not. We can say, well, the problem is liberalism. No, it's not. The problem is we don't know Jesus. And if we know Jesus, we're not willing to. To share the hope of the world with others. The problem is for that world of people that are lost, that do not know Christ, the church is the last place they will come. Because the church represents everything that has stood against them from the beginning. And you see, it's very, it's very hard for me because I, this is all I've ever known. I've always been in the church. I've never been away from the church. But I want to tell you, after sitting over the last two decades with person after person after person and testimony after testimony after testimony, this is no exaggeration. There have been thousands, thousands.
house who have almost walked away because the church has come to represent everything, everything that is standing against them. Jesus began his mission when the kingdom of God became real and present in the person of Christ. He did not come to offer band-aids to the church or to the people of God. He came to transform lives, to turn the world upside down. And my soul grieves because there are so many lost people who will go to hell, who are good people, who are friends of mine, whom I've talked with and spent time with and even journeyed with. But again, it's not our proximity to a believer. It's not our proximity to the church. It's not about being on the third pew every Sunday. It's about knowing Jesus. We must partner in the gospel together. Paul was encouraging the church at Philippi because of their partnering, their decision to partner in the gospel. We are to partner in sharing and living the story of Jesus out in our lives. And it's a very, very difficult process. It is very difficult to follow Christ. It has not come easy. How should we live our lives? I mean, the short, cliche answer is we need to live our lives like Jesus. But it's, even it's a, as it is a cliche, it is a reality. And so how do we know how Jesus lived? Well, we know how Jesus lived by reading the Gospels. And we see how he intertwined. And we see where Jesus is dogmatic. And we see where Jesus is indignant about things. And you know, the interesting thing about it is, he wasn't too kind to preachers. He wasn't too kind to religious leaders. But when you and I pick up John chapter 4, and we look at this woman, this woman is an adulteress. She deserves to be stoned. That's the law. We find Jesus not shying away from truth, but pointing out that reality and saying, you know, I know, I know the man that you're with. He's not your husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And it was this tender rebuke. He didn't shun her, but he said, you've come to draw water. Read it in John chapter 4. You've come to draw water, water that's not going to last, but I can give you water that will last and quench your thirst for eternity. It's here for the taking. Won't you come? How do we, how do we go about sharing the message, the hope, the grace, the wrath, the judgment of God to people 
who either one, don't think they're lost, or to people who don't care if they're lost. See, I mean, here's the thing. There's a lot of them that just frankly don't care. <laughs> there are some people that are so indignant in their position, I'll go to hell, I don't care. I'm reminded of the childhood song, which is not a good one, but it's one that I, rec- and Tabby's getting worried what songs he's going to repeat today. <laughs> Hank Williams Jr., okay? Now, some of you don't know that I, you know, I, I used to listen to country music, okay? I know that doesn't fit my, I don't have cowboy boots, but I do have boots on today. Uh, and if heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, okay? That's a song. And he's like, you know, if it's not like Dixie, then just send me to the bad place. He said, just send me to hell. I said, might as well just go there. And I'm thinking how flippant this statement is. But it represents a generation of people who frankly don't care. How are we going to share the gospel of Christ? Well, one, we need to pray about the seeds that we're going to sow. And number two, we have to earn respect with the ability to speak into their lives. Having been in New Orleans, nearly every parade, if you go down on Bourbon Street, I've been there three or four times in my life, and that's the truth, because, whew, wow, it's a prayer place, okay? And uh, there's always people, preachers, street preachers, preaching. You're going to hell, you're going to hell, and they're ridiculed. I mean, they're spit upon and everything else. But the message that they are pre you know, it, it's not striking up a conversation. It's keeping people away and at bay. And you say, well, I know example. Listen, there are always exceptions to the rule. Okay? <laughs> what I'll give the street preachers is, at least they're willing to go out and share the gospel, which I see a lot of First Baptist people around. They don't ever do that. So at least, at least... They're sharing the gospel. But I think there's probably a more effective way of doing it. When you and I encounter sin, we don't need to try to justify it. Sin can never be justified. Ever. (laughs) No matter how much prayer, how much logic, you can't justify sin. Sin is sin. And what must we do with sin? What must we do, congregation? Oh, I, I can't hear you. Do we have lost people in the room? <laughs> what must we do with sin? Confess it. And what, listen, now here's the thing. We're good little Baptists. So we confess sin. You know what? I messed up. I cussed somebody out on the road the other day. And so we think by saying that confession that automatically we're okay now. Is that true? Oh, thank Jesus. What do we have to do? Repent. We forget that essential problem, that essential issue, that essential part of the equation. Where there is no repentance, there is no forgiveness. We can confess and be honest and authentic all day long. And that's very important. But it needs to be coupled with our repentance. Which means... That if we're going in a certain direction and we repent, we do in the other direction. We don't dabble with it. I don't know why we dabble with things like that. That's the direction. We need to move away from that direction and go in another direction. 
We need to be mindful of the people that are around us. Because all of us need Jesus. All of us need Jesus. And the story of Jesus is a story of redemption. The story of Jesus is the story of love. The story of Jesus, however, is the story of crucifixion. It's the story of capital punishment. It's the story of a first century electric chair on the Savior of the world. I mean, we wear the cross around our necks, and they're so pretty, you know. I've had this one since 2003 before gold went up. Now I can't afford it. I could probably sell this and buy a car. Um, you know, we, we wear these crosses. We hang these crosses in our home. They adorn. I mean, we need to think in terms, it's an electric chair, people. That's what we're hanging. We are hanging the element of which the Savior of the world, the sovereign God of the universe, was crucified. He met a death. And ladies and gentlemen, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Follow me here now. If you and I are followers of Jesus, and we're trying to follow Jesus, and we're trying to love people, and we're trying to point people to the way and the truth of the life through Jesus, and if we're going to embody this journey of Jesus, and we think that we're going to be able to avoid crucifixion, good luck with that. Because it didn't work for Jesus, and it's not going to work for us. Where there is no crucifixion, there is no resurrection. Where there is no death, there is no life. Because it is only by dying to self that we gain life in its entirety. No amount of transcendental meditation, no amount of mantras, no amount of... None of that is going to work. That's why Paul would say, I preach Christ crucified. And this is what I can appreciate from our Catholic brothers and sisters. You walk into a Catholic church, the cross is rarely adorned in glory. The cross is adorned with Jesus who is crucified. We never need to forget that without Good Friday, you and I never get to experience resurrection power on Sunday. And then Paul writes, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident in verse 6 of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how, how long for all of you with the affection of Christ. And then he says in verse 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, then verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. He prays, he seeks, he asks God to help love of the congregation, love of the church, love in the church, love for the followers of Jesus to abound more. And here's the interesting thing. He connects love not to an emotion. I mean, Joel, I hate to, to crucify this, but... Tammy, you come up here. Come sit here. I mean, she's the only one I can pick. You'll see why in a minute. 
I wasn't going to ask you, John. <laughs> Valentine's Day. What do we like to do on Valentine's Day, Tabby? We like to wear black. We do. We, we become gothic for the day because we think it's ridiculous that we have to buy things and roses and chocolates. Uh, it's just absurd. But you know, Valentine's Day is all about love. You know what love is? Don't you love me? Yes. And, and <laughs> you have given me two beautiful children, haven't you? Yes. And that love has abounded, hasn't it? Yes. In more ways than one, hasn't it? Yes. We have a deep affection for one another. But it's more that she, see, she, she didn't know that I was going to do this. It's, it's, it's more than emotion, isn't it? Yes. Why? What does emotion lead to? <laughs> young, I, I want the young people to hear that, okay? What does emotion lead to? Sin. Sin. You see, you have a seat. Thank you. Now, some of you think Valentine's Day is about this. You know, I know, I know. Love is not a mere emotion that we have. And love is something that you and I embody. And here's the thing, lost people can love, okay? I get this all the time. Well, I'm living with my girlfriend or boyfriend, and I'm living in what, you know, may, maybe many, many would say is a, an unscriptural relationship, whatever that relationship may look like. And I have no problem in loving my significant other. That's wonderful. That's great. That proves nothing, okay? <laughs> Every, we all have the ability to love. But love can be fleeting. I mean, I'm not the man that I was 20 years ago. I mean, I used to be buff. I'm not laughing. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> I used to be buff. I mean, people, listen, I would go to the beach and walk on the beach, and I was like a chick magnet. It's what I believe. I don't care what you believe. Love is more than warm fuzzies. When Paul says, I want your love to abound, the love he's talking about is rooted in the partnership with the gospel. I would submit to you that yes, the world can love without Jesus, but the world will never ever understand the profound nature of the love that Christ can only give. You Listen, you can have a good life without God. You can. But you will never have a good eternity without knowing Him in the here and now. Now, if we believe that, ladies and gentlemen, why are we not out sharing the hope of the world? It drives me crazy. Our love needs to abound more and more. And then he says, and this is what Paul ties it to. To knowledge and depth of insight. Love is connected, and, and this is how I view depth and insight. Wisdom. 
There are tons of people that have knowledge. There are PhDs all over the place. Some are in this room. And I'm not picking on any of the PhDs in the room. But this is what I'm going to tell you. We don't come to Jesus because we have a great mind. We come to Jesus because we have surrendered a broken heart. And God takes our filthy rags that we offer. And he doesn't wash them in Clorox and give us back the same rags. He gives us a whole new outfit. So the love that we have needs to grow and grow our knowledge and our depth of insight. Not love as an emotion, but love as a state of being. And ladies and gentlemen, I've not always been this way, but I'm going to tell you something. I don't hate anyone. I can say that with a clear conscience. I don't hate anyone. I've had people over the years who have done horrific things to me, who have said horrific things about me, who have hurt me personally and spiritually. And there were seasons, there were times I wanted to use my buff body and absolutely show them and help them and buy them a ticket straight to hell. It's just a reality. That's human flesh. And you know what we call that? Now, in, in church, we say that's flesh. In the real world, uh, God calls it one thing. It's a three-letter word. It's called sin. And sin has to be confessed and repented of. I hate no one. I'm called and I look back to the service on Friday, which I have to tell you, as I said, was the most horrific service I've ever been in. But you know what the Lord showed me in closing is this. That service was horrific, but in that service, there were more lost people in that room than I've probably encountered in closed-door session in over a decade. And my countenance and my decision and our decision must be we must care for the world that we're called to reach. We must love people. We must point people to Jesus. We must love more deeply, be less dogmatic, but fully, fully surrendered in all humility to gain the audience of a lost person and lost people so that one purpose, to be able to explain the hope that is within us. We should never lie. We should never fake it. We should be honest, transparent, confessional vessels so that when we are running on empty, we can be filled up with the abounding love of Jesus Christ that makes all the difference in our today and absolutely all the difference in our tomorrow. Will you pray with me?